This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome back to the WOMED. Do I have an awesome episode for you guys this week? I'm speaking with Dr. Tai, a physiatrist and pelvic pain specialist in New York. I had so many questions for her and a few from my friends. All things feminine health were discussed. This is also a great episode to share with your friends outside of the medical community too. Also, I can't believe I'm saying this, but WOMED merch, it's live, it's here. I can't believe we're here, but I thought it'd be super fun to have something to unite my WOMED people, but also be useful for work. The crew neck sweatshirt is mid-weight, and I'm always cold in the hospital, and most hospitals don't allow hoodies, hence the crew neck. The Arctic Tumbler is 30 ounces of awesomeness with a secure lid filled with coffee, smoothies, tea, water, and make sure you stay hydrated at work, please. This is a limited run, a merch test, if you will. So if you like it, you want it, buy it quick. All right, all about that nursey energy. And this week's NDE moment comes from at Haley Does Things. She was listening to the episode with Rebecca Love and wrote in, Hi, I loved the podcast this week. I'm a nurse currently getting my MBA and MPH, and your podcast this week made me feel seen. I have doubted this career path sometimes, wondering if people will take my nursing background seriously. But it's been amazing so far. Thanks for making me feel less alone. I'm the first RN MBA at my school. Haley, I love hearing this and that you took the time to share. This one goes out to all the nursepreneurs out there using their nursing backgrounds to change healthcare and healthcare business. Big love to y'all. All right. Well, I'm so excited. Dr. Tai, welcome to the WOMED. Thank you so much for having me. I love that you reached out. I love it. So like anyone listening, please reach out to me. Send me a DM. I check them because I, I just, I love hearing from you. Like if you want to pitch yourself, go ahead and pitch yourself to me. Or if you have anyone else you want me to look into, I, yeah, I love, I love when people reach out to me. I feel like we got to talk about sex and other stuff and periods and the more people who will listen, the better. Yes. And that they can in turn send that knowledge off too. A hundred percent. Oh God, there's such a taboo on it. Definitely. I mean, even now, I mean, years ago, there was a huge taboo. People wouldn't talk about like certain topics like finance and divorce and, mm-hmm. and being, when you're pregnant, not telling anyone and like sex, forget about it. Like even now yeah. it's huge. It's still, it's still so big. Oh Yeah. And then, he, oh my gosh, you couldn't even mention the word like period around men or something like, oh, yeah. you know, back, way back when. I mean, even now it's it's still like, guys are like, oh, what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I If I had like a dollar for every time I went to a lunch and said period where the guys were like, they like involuntarily like shudder or something. It's like, why? I you know. know I brought that up too. <laughs> I had this like sixth sense, you know, like I woke up and I was like, Oh God, like my period, like just started and I just made it to the bathroom and it was just probably graphic, but you know, whatever, like just this plot just like came out and I'm like, and I texted my group of girlfriends. I'm like, 
what if men just bled clots <laughs> from their penis? Like, <laughs> what would they do? <laughs> they would they would be like on the floor crying like they had the man flu all day long. Oh my god! No, I mean, well, first of all, I hope you get you have Thinks panties that you can I use. I love <laughs> Thinks. Okay, good. I want I want Thinks to be a sponsor. So if they're listening, like I will I shout will, out Thinks all the time. I will tell them I'm a Thinks ambassador. So are you really? Yeah, I'm obsessed with Thinks. They are doing. Me this too. is not an ad, by the way, but they are just. Oh my god, they're doing so much good for like, uh, like women and stuff all over the world. Hundred percent. So like. I've been wearing things for like five years and after I started wearing them, I stopped leaking my bed sheets because I, I was definitely that teenage girl who was constantly dirtying my bed sheets, waking up in the middle of the night and yeah, and having that like crazy, oh my God, I'm about to have a period and like, but, but I'd always already have gotten it on my pajamas and I'd be like, oh, another pair down. I know. (laughs) But yeah, I've been wearing things for forever. And now that I treat pelvic pain, I'm like such a big fan of it because of my endometriosis patients who are constantly bleeding heavily. Yeah. But yeah, I will definitely tell them um, and reach, have them like maybe reach out. I don't know how that goes, but yeah, I'll just give them my email. Like I'll give it to you after we're done recording. Not kidding. I love them so much. I was that girl, like who before she went to bed would stick like a regular like overnight pad in and then like another one up the back like just in case (laughs) or like a towel underneath yes I've definitely done that yeah but like thinks has like such different they have so many different styles that have different like flows that it will that it will catch have you gotten the super no so the super is like super super thick it's like very it's like full it's almost like terry cloth and like inside of it oh my god very thick so like that one's the thickest obviously it's more like granny panty-ish because it is bigger but I mean on day one yeah pretty I I will go an entire day like I'll wear like a backup pad and if I don't have time to go to the bathroom because I'm at work all day I'll Mm -hmm. go the entire day and not have to change and not leak no and they're still dry yeah that's what's so amazing like it's like they're so comfortable and it's not like you're sitting in like wet blood all day like it literally wicks it all away they're so I yeah I can't say enough good I know I can't I'm like I could go on about them because realistically who the hell wants to change their pad and also they're just economical and good for the environment environment. (laughs) yes 100% and they're they they provide like reusable feminine hygiene products to women in like third world countries or like underprivileged like nations and stuff too so yeah. like girls can yeah. stay in school and mm-hmm. oh I love that I love yeah that. and they and then if you sign up for their emails they send you like different emails every week about like women issues so it's, I mean I read them and I'm like a doctor and I'm like reading them I'm like that's good I should write one of these you um, should I know I've been saying I'm gonna pitch an idea but I've been just in the middle of COVID. (laughs) Oh gosh. I know. Well, now that we've (laughs) thoroughly endorsed everyone go by. (laughs) Yeah. Dr. Ty, where did your like love for medicine begin? I mean, I am brown. So naturally, if you, the, the stereotype is when you're brown, you're taught about medicine very early. 
Yeah. My mom's a dentist. My parents were very hard pushing medicine. Uh, so I was that kid who grew up saying, I want to be a pediatrician. I want to be a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I always thought, oh, I'm going to help people. And I have all these like things my parents saved where I wrote, I want to be a doctor. I don't Aww. know. I, I think it was like one of those things. And then when I got to high school, a f- my guidance counselor, very, very stereotypically again, said, well, there's this girl very similar to you. She just did, <laughs> went into a, a med school program and she's a senior. And I was a freshman. He was like, why don't you work towards that? So I did. I, I started doing shadowing and different um, like one, one-on-one programs in hospitals for my intern year and, and senior year. And, and then I got into the same medical program she got into. <laughs> Here I am. So yeah, and we were like literally the token brown kids in our school. So yeah. Oh my goodness. I wish I had like a real story, but that's really the truth. Well, that is a real story. That's yeah. That's that's your truth. That's how you were guided into it. Personally, I love DOs. I mean, like I've really started to learn more about them from doing this podcast and I think they're amazing. So how did you decide upon like the DO route versus MD? So when I applied from high school, I applied to this BSGO program and I got in and it was a seven year program and I didn't even apply to any MD schools. I literally didn't even know what I was getting into. And then when I got in, so the first three years were BS, like your bachelor's, and then Mm -hmm. your last four years were your med school. And when I'm there, I'm like learning all about osteopathic manipulation. And like, you know, you're going through this program with like 30 of your friends and you go in and you're learning all about these techniques. And I'm like, whoa, this is pretty cool. We're learning stuff. And like you, we, we also learned that a lot of MDs were going to be like against us, not necessarily against us, but not understand mm-hmm. what we do. So while we were there, we were already being like prepped to explain what we do and and learn about the techniques. And obviously we learned so many uh, osteopathic manipulation techniques. Like we had an entire class on it. We had a fellowship on it if we wanted to do it. We had to do like physical uh, manual training on people and practice these techniques on each other as students. So we all loved it. And I kind of just got thrown into it. So, um, but what, what brought me like the coolest thing out of all of it, it was, I ended up finding the field of physiatry, which Mm -hmm. is rehabilitation. And at that time, so this is like more than 10 years ago, it's like 20, almost 20 years ago. (laughs) I get a little old. At that time, rehabilitation was like, what, what is that? Like you're like a a drug counselor? Like, what are you? Yeah. Um, People had no idea what rehabilitation or physiatry also called physical medicine and rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so at that time, again, had walked into this random situation when I was in my third year and we were learning about, we were doing our electives and I didn't know what to do. My my husband or fiance at the time had said, I did this rotation. It's kind of a really easy elective. He gives you a lot of free time. Go do this one so you can study for your boards during this. So I, did, I signed up for it. <laughs> thinking this is going to be some really chill and it was a really chill rotation it ended up being a physiatrist who were who went to NYU like I did eventually did and I I had no I had already applied anesthesia and pediatrics Mm -hmm. and 
I, I, I'm doing anesthesia and I'm like, I hate this. This is terrible. My husband's an anesthesiologist. So I was like, I'll try it. I hated it. Then I did my peds rotation and I was like, this is so not gratifying. And then I was like, crap, guys, I'm in my fourth year. I don't have <laughs> anything to apply to. And a friend of mine was like, go to NYU and do this rotation. I think you're going to really love it. And I mm-hmm. did it and I loved it. And then I was like, oh my God, I shadowed this guy three months ago and he was a physiatrist. And so it, it like came full circle and I learned all about this awesome field. And now I'm hearing that like, it's so hard to get into physiatry because wow. there's just so many people interested in it. That's so cool. I know and like I was looking up your bio, I saw the physiatry come up and started like Googling it. And then there was everyone was like, well, what's the difference between physiatry and physical therapy? And I honestly don't know. So <laughs> so that's the thing. So we are physicians. We are, mm-hmm. we have an MD or a DO, but physical therapists do not. They went to physical therapy school. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of patients will call our office and say, oh, well, I'm going to do physical therapy. And, and we have to explain to them, no, we are the physicians who prescribe physical therapy. In some states, they require a script. In some states, you can actually go on your own. And then meet, if you need another script, you go like to continue. Um, and so you get that from a doctor. Now you can get that from your internal medicine doctor or your GYN as well. But as a physiatrist or a physician, we can order imaging, we can diagnose, um, we can order labs, we can, you know, we can prescribe medications. So the physical therapist can't do any of that. They kind of will treat the patient, go on a hunch and like hope that they, if they need something, they can get them to the, the person who will prescribe and do that imaging. So it's nice to, to have a physiatrist on board to really look at you as a whole, a full circle and treat you at the same time. Wow. That's so fascinating. Guys, I love it when I get to say this. This episode is brought to you by Magic Spoon. One of my friends got this cereal and started hyping it up. And then I tried it and cereal can be healthy and taste good. Even the quote unquote sweet cereals. As a kid, my parents always made me half my cereal in the morning. Any of the good sugary cereals had to be cut with like Cheerios or Kicks. Honestly, those were great mixes, but chock full of sugar and junk that you shouldn't really eat. Enter Magic Spoon. No sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Sounds like it should taste like cardboard, right? It's honestly so dang good. The fruity flavor is my fave so far. It's filling, has a great texture, and it goes perfectly with my oat milk. You got kids? They'll love it too. Believe me, I have the food palate of a seven-year-old. Their four main flavors are fruity, cocoa, frosted, and blueberry. Go to magicspoon.com slash WOMED to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use my promo code WOMED at checkout to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is confident in their product. It's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash WOMED. And use the code WOMED for free shipping. Thank you, Magic Spoon, for sponsoring this podcast. So you also have this love of like helping with like 
pelvic pain and like women's health. So is that like a specific thing you had to do? The thing is, so if you, you know, in most fields, when you're in medicine, you go to the hospital if you're sick. And when you get discharged, you go to a a rehab or a field and you'll have, you might, if you're really, really critically ill, or if you're, you're well enough to go home, you go home. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you have a knee replacement, you go to rehab and you go home. So there's always like the step down place, the acute facility or a subacute facility. That's all the physiatrists. So whether you have a stroke or traumatic brain injury or anything. So where pelvis came around, like after having a child, there is no rehab. I don't know if you, nope. A lot of people don't realize like, wait, we, we don't have a rehab after postpartum or, you know, when you injure your pelvis, you just go home. Like even, um, you know, when you're, you have a pelvic fracture, there's no surgery. So you literally just go home. So you're, you're right. I didn't even like think about it that way. Like you're, especially after pregnancy, you know, like your, your muscles and pelvis have like gone through all of this stuff and there's so much trauma, right? Oh my God. Yeah. One of my friends broke her tailbone in her pregnancy. Yeah. Like, I like, I don't know what to do. Like it, it still hurts. Like what, what can I do for that? That's exactly what I do. So that's how I treat people because you can't, you can't, I mean, in Europe and France and Australia, they're required to go to physical therapy after. So the physical therapist will see patients in the hospital postpartum and say, do like one or two sessions and then go home. Like, and Mm -hmm. then they'll follow up and say, okay, you know, if you need more, we'll continue it's super duper important because so many of these patients are presenting with, so you could have hypotonic muscles where you're loosey goosey, or you can Mm -hmm. have tight muscles where they're tight. And most of these people present with pain, which is where I come in. And so this whole field of pelvic physiatry, there's tiny, there's only like five of us in New York doing it outside of New York. There's like, maybe like a handful in each state, like one. There's probably not anybody in Nashville. (laughs) No, we were actually thinking of it opening an office in, t- in Tennessee. So please um, do it <laughs> because they'll have kids someday. <laughs> there's lots of therapists, but besides the therapist, there's no one really ordering the imaging. You kind of just have to go to a GYN and hope gotcha. that they have an interest in it or go to a urologist and kind of hope that there's an interest in it. But a lot of times the urologist is focusing mostly on the bladder and the GYNs focusing on the ovaries or the uterus. So the physiatrist, if there's a physiatrist who's interested, will be focusing on the tailbone and the pubic symphysis and like the hips and the muscles and, you know, the nerves that are in there that are causing pain and problems. Wow. I'm like, this is just such, this is what's so cool about doing this podcast is I get to learn so much stuff. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's awesome. But it's awesome that you're sharing all of this with people. Well, yeah. I mean, like, I, well, some people might not think everything that I think is cool, but I think this is really cool. So hopefully, hopefully other people will too. Well, you know, that's the thing about this field. When you are in this pain and you're desperate and then you find someone, I've had people like say like, where were you 30 years ago? And I was like, I was eight years old. Like, you know, this field is so fresh. So you, you know, that's why I'm like trying to shout it out to everyone. Like, get people help because it's really hard to treat people when they've had pain for like two years right now, because most of the time they're like someone maybe gets the hold of them and now they're on narcotics and getting off the narcotics and now they have pain pumps and it's just like becomes very messy and hard to treat. Yeah. 
So what are some of the more common things that you have people like patients come in, like asking for help? So pain with sex, huge Mm -hmm. pain after sex that can be like happening for, you know, hours after sometimes days endometriosis symptoms, which are like the painful periods, which aren't just painful periods, they're pain. It could be all month long, but with endometriosis patients, they usually have heavy bleeding, um, Mm -hmm. abdominal bloating, which is called endobelly. They can have chronic constipation and urinary frequency and urgency. But then I also see people who don't have endometriosis who have chronic constipation and urinary frequency and urgency, rectal pain. Um, I, I see persistent genital arousal disorder, which a lot of people joke is like, oh, I think that'd be awesome to have, but it's really actually quite disturbing and uh, like a terrible uh, disorder. Mm-hmm. So um, I see a lot of tailbone injuries, postpartum, um, pubic symphysis, hip issues, labral tears. And I treat men, which is still a very interesting thing. Um, so a lot of oh. males have the exact same issues because they have the exact same pelvic floor minus the genitals. Um, but everything else is the same. So with men, would it be more like hernial tears or like something like that, that you would see them for? Sometimes they have heard inguinal hernias or, Mm -hmm. but women can have inguinal hernias too. Um, males, like I saw someone today with the bear seal or Mm peyronies, some of the men have a lot more of the men have musculoskeletal issues. A lot of it's post, you know, masturbating or post, they might um, post inter or during intercourse. Some of it's like traumatic. I've had male patients who've been kicked in their testicles by friends and like as a joke and now they have trauma. Oh my God. Um, yeah, I know. Right. Men are just very interesting. They're really, <laughs> yes, <laughs> they are. They are very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they're very interesting, but um, but yeah, you know, a lot of them present with the chronic constipation and the urinary symptoms as well, or they have like prostate issues, like prostatitis, exactly, mm-hmm. or abacterial prostatitis, where um, oh, but good old pelvic floor dysfunction, a lot, um, anxiety causes people to clench their pelvic floors, and in return, now they're having presenting with symptoms. So you know, when they're super stressed out or anxious, their symptoms are worse. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. A lot of pain with sitting. Ooh, I couldn't imagine. I mean, like, I I feel very lucky in that, like, the most I've ever had, like, really experienced any sort of pelvic pain was, like, when I first started having sex. Like, there was, like, a lot of pain. Um, And, like, in college and stuff, too. But I think it was more of a lubrication issue. Yeah. But, okay, so I was looking up some things so what is dis i'm probably gonna say it wrong dispar in dyspareunia yeah dyspareunia so dyspareunia is just just a way of saying painful sex okay so dyspareunia can happen for multiple reasons you can have vaginal dryness you know that Mm -hmm. happens during menopause you can be pain from childbirth you know breastfeeding can be causing some of the vaginal dryness um, when people are postpartum um, they're still nursing. Um, it could be you're just not super aroused, so you're not you're dry. Um, mm-hmm. It could be skin issues like lichen, sclerosis, or it could be ulcers. Or uh, then there's also like chronic yeast infections, recurrent UTIs. Sometimes postpartum, so this can be like if there's a tear and now they're sewn up, and sometimes the tear doesn't heal properly or it's from an episiotomy, they can have pain in the distribution of the nerve that's been irritated or 
Mm -hmm. hopefully not severed, vulvodynia. So vulvodynia can cause pain um, with sex and vulvodynia is more of a diagnosis. You have, you kind of exclude some things. Essentially it's the vulva Mm -hmm. having, having pain in the distribution of the vulva. Um, and that that's the, so the, a lot of people call your vagina, your vulva, but your vagina is actually inside your vulva on the outside. Yeah. (laughs) So when you know what the vulva is, there is different portions of the vulva, including the vestibule. And so Mm -hmm. if that area is causing pain for three months or longer, technically it's by definition vulvodynia. Um, and it, it can't be from like a skin issue. It's, it's more of like an, an irritation of the nerve or inflammation of the vulva, or it could be something genetic or, you know, re- related to pelvic floor dysfunction, like I was talking about before. But essentially, mm-hmm. vulvodynia is, is not fun, and it's not an easy oh. diagnosis to treat. And for people, they're presenting with burning or itching, and it's just uncomfortable, and they have trouble wearing clothes and pants oh, and like underwear. Yeah. It's, it's definitely different. So dyspareunia, what that can definitely cause pain with sex because you're mm-hmm. now burning all the time. And then yeah. um, vaginismus. Vaginismus is a big, huge cause of um, pain with sex. So that's when the muscles are contracting like right before, you, or like right before there's penetration because mm-hmm. you're, you know, anxious. It could be like psychological reasons like trauma or abuse. Yeah. Or classically, you're here, you'll hear of young girls who tried putting a tampon in for the first time and they just like clench up and now they can't get a tampon in or they can't have penetration with the finger or with a penis. And Mm -hmm. that's like the first experience for them. And then secondary vaginismus is like when it happens later in life. So you have normal uh, pain-free intercourse, no issues, and then Mm -hmm. something traumatic happens and that's secondary vaginismus. So a lot of there's a lot of overlap in the symptoms and you're like which one is it do I have vaginismus do I have vulvodynia a lot of people don't know what they're coming in for because they just google symptoms yeah and then they're like I do I have vaginismus or vulvodynia and so I have to explain the difference to them gotcha so I've had a couple friends who have been raped and I know that like after that having feeling safe and stuff in a relationship and like enough to have sex um, was like a really big struggle, like a really big hump for them to overcome. And a lot of them said it was like really painful at first, you know, to try and get through stuff like that. So is that something where, you know, like therapy along with seeing you would be yes. like go hand in hand? Definitely. So I've seen patients who've, you know, been unable to be penetrated because they've had that trauma and now Mm -hmm. they're like, okay, but I want to, I'm in a safe relationship and I'm happy. So why can't I, um, but they haven't worked out the psychological stuff. They've only worked Mm -hmm. and they haven't figured out the, the, the muscular stuff either. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, we have, I work with sex therapists. I work with cognitive behavioral therapists or somatic therapists to help patients try like, you know, cause there's only so much I could do. I can, can't talk to you. I'm not like clinically trained to talk about all that stuff, but mm-hmm. I can help with the muscular stuff. So for some of these patients, I'm giving them suppositories to try to relax their muscles, teaching them about dilators, getting them into pelvic physical therapy. Like I have to make sure that they find a good fit, someone that they can get along with. They're not going to feel traumatized with because pelvic physical therapy in itself can be traumatizing when you've already had trauma. Yeah. So a lot of that is like, me 
figuring out who's going to be good with who and, Mm -hmm. you know, explaining to them what's going to happen because you don't want to send someone into like, here's a script for failed pelvic physical therapy. And then they're like, wait, what? Someone's going to go in my vagina and massage the area. What? That that doesn't sound right. I've already been through trauma. Why would I go through it again? And I know you must have heard of Larry Nassar. Yes. The doctor who... Mm -hmm. With the gymnasts. Yeah. So mm-hmm. Athlete A just came out recently. So I was literally, t- I've been messaging people on, on my story because I posted about it last week. You know, so many people have to undo the trauma from, from like trauma and then be willing to open up to physical therapy and before they can like truly enjoy sex again. And it's yeah. really hard because they're like, wait. I'm I'm mentally okay. I'm with this guy. I'm totally happy. Why am I not enjoying sex? And like, mm-hmm. they just, they have to go back and like work on separating it. And sometimes you have to help get them separate the mind and the body. Yeah. I honestly hadn't really heard of, I mean, of pelvic physical therapy and like oh, that, yeah. that would actually be uh, penetrating. I mean, like everyone hears about like Kegels or is it Kegels or Kegel? I call it Kegels, but I bet everyone okay. has a different. Way I've, to call, say I've it. called it both too, and like that's like the extent of my, <laughs> you know, strengthening your pelvic floor. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. Like, if you have a tight pelvic floor, you mm-hmm. can, you're not supposed to do Kegels because you're just going to make yourself worse. You're just going to make yourself tighter. Oh, which is why like a lot of people are coming in with problems from kegel so i had this one patient who you know whenever you have to a kegel or not to kegel exactly that is the question so you know when people have hysterectomies or prostatectomies or any surgeries to remove any of the, like from cancer or whatnot or you know pain mm-hmm. their pelvic floor can get weakened mm-hmm. and if your pelvic floor is weakened so they say do kegels strengthen it but you know, sometimes people go overboard because we have a lot of type A personalities here and yeah. they do like 300 Kegels a day. Now that's like, oh my God. if you do that for like a year straight, you're going to have pelvic floor problems because yeah. your muscles are going to be great. It's like, imagine if you did that for your bicep. Um, yeah. So a lot of, uh, a lot of physical therapy is diagnosing properly, whether you need Kegels or not. Mm-hmm. And Aside from just like the word Kegels, there's so many different ways to do a Kegel, so many different programs, whether you, because if you're like, you know, not super loosey goosey, you could do some strengthening without necessarily needing Kegels. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people just, you know, you're doing, you're just kind of, they hear the word Kegel and the only time they do Kegels is when they hear the word and they forget to do it. (laughs) Um, and so that's part of why, like, you see all these like Kegel weights and Kegel things, and people are like, "Oh, do you recommend any like Kegel exercise balls and this?" And yeah, there's like there's other like devices. It's almost like those like hand strengthener mm-hmm. things, you know, that you can insert and like supposed to squeeze. Like, there's yeah. there's so much, so many things out there now. I mean, I they're there. Do they have utility? Yes. Are they necessary? Not necessary because, I mean, a lot of it's like, oh, if you put it in and then it vibrates every 10 seconds and every time it vibrates, you have to remember to do it. Like, I mean, if you're going to do it, great. But if you're not and you need someone to remind, like, I think, I think at the end of the day, if you're leaking to the point where you can't go for a run and you're leaking, Mm -hmm. like 
then you've got to really get yourself to polyphysical therapy. And then you have to be consistent because if you do it consistently, you can see an improvement. Um, but it's not just like 10 seconds of like one Kegel, you know, you have to like be very consistent. And like I said, not everyone needs Kegels because if you're tight, you can make yourself worse. Yeah. I guess I was, if you have, if someone say like did go overboard on doing Kegels and I feel like every time we say the word, like I'm doing that. <laughs> could that like be potentially more dangerous during pregnancy like would you have like would you be more likely to tear like muscles if they're like so tight I mean like they're relaxing hormones I mean like everything's gonna relax to a certain extent but is that something that I mean I wouldn't be like super worried like unless you're doing like 300 a day Mm -hmm. um and but you're gonna start feeling other things like you're gonna it might start hurting you might start having some burning you might start having some urinary frequency because the pelvic floor it runs between the pubic symphysis and the tailbone right so your bladder Mm -hmm. your uterus your you might your rectum it's all running through that pelvic floor so you usually present with some symptoms before you start presenting with pain and Mm so urinary frequency urinary urgency constipation are usually like your and then pain with sex are your telltale signs that like something's not going right down there um I wouldn't I wouldn't worry like you're gonna have this like insane tear plus when you're like um that pregnant like I don't think many people are worried so much you know you have like all of this pressure on your bladder so mm-hmm. you can't really tell if you're having frequency from drinking all the time or oh, from yeah. the baby sitting on your butt, like on your <laughs> on your bladder. So like, I I'm not so worried about. But I mean, I I even I tell people during pregnancy they should go to pelvic physical therapy and like prep your body for birth and prep your perineum for that delivery. Yeah. T for another timeout. I have always been skeptical of the Bluetooth earbud wearers. Do they really work? Do they stay in place? Do they cancel out noise? I just put the Raycon earbuds to test during my morning workout slash dance around my apartment. I have decided the verdict is in. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds started about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and sound just as amazing as the top audio brands. The Everyday E25 earbuds are their best yet with six hours of playtime. Pairing was super easy and they are so comfortable. I don't know if I have sensitive ears or what, but these buds not only fit, but they don't hurt. They even come with four other sizes for your ear holes. They're stylish and discreet. I'm a convert. Now is the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com slash Womed. That's buyraycon.com slash Womed for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash Womed. I feel... And and this is probably a stereotype that really needs to be busted. But just even like hearing physical therapy, like pelvic physical therapy, it makes me like, like I would be nervous about who like I would be paired with. A hundred percent. Because like 
are they doing this because they're, you know, kind of pervy or are they doing it because they actually well, so I'll believe it and want to help? There's not a lot of, there's barely like, there's maybe five men that I know that have ever done pelvic physical therapy because yeah, a hundred percent, like I would never, me personally would never go to a male pelvic PT mm-hmm. only because I think a lot of the same things. And, you know, one of my male colleagues was like, well, isn't that kind of like stereotypical that you're saying that like he'd be pervy? And I'm like, well, I don't, you know, it's, yeah, I guess maybe, but at the same time, that's just my comfort level. Mm-hmm. Um, but women, it's definitely not sexual. So I've been, yeah. you go there, you talk, they examine you on the outside, they massage out like your, your abs, because your abs like are attached to your pelvic floor. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting, um, they're massaging out like your inner thigh, your adductor muscles, your hip flexor muscles. And then they work on the, your internal, they go in with their finger with a glove. Obviously, everyone's wearing gloves. Like if they're that Dr. Larry Nasser wasn't wearing gloves, like, like, oh, that was, he makes that me so sick. That was like the telltale, like grossness. But and they also, he had like pictures, like he was actually just child pedophile, but they go in with your finger. They might do some rectal work because mm-hmm. that, that will work. I mean, so it, but during this, like you should be having a very normal conversation, not like they might ask you like, does that hurt? Are you feeling any tenderness there? You know, mm-hmm. but like majority of it is like, so how was your weekend? What are you doing? Like, you don't even realize you're in PT because it yeah. should be like very normal. And, and then, and then you feel relief. Like you feel more relaxed and it doesn't hurt. And mm-hmm. you, sh- you shouldn't come out of PT feeling worse or flared. Now, obviously like the first PT session might be like, what the hell just happened? But yeah, you're, <laughs> you're not that's the thing. It's also like about pairing people. Like if you are really young, you might feel more comfortable with someone close to your age group. If you're older, you probably want, like, I, I know sometimes when I've paired people of different ages, they might feel like, oh, well, I feel like she was being too strict with me or that person. Mm-hmm. It's like going to any, any doctor, like, you know, oh, that person seemed condescending because they made it seem like I didn't know anything. Like, you know, it's a lot of personalities too. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So I also like, I asked a couple of my friends, I was like, do any of you guys have like any burning questions? Like I'm going to be speaking to like a pelvic pain specialist and I got quite a few. (laughs) (laughs) So if you're cool with that, I would love to do like a little like Q&A thing too. Sure. So one of my friends mentioned that, you know, and it might just be like, they were penetrated too far, but it feels like they're getting like a nerve hit in their spine. And she said like, she like jumps because it's it, like, she almost feels like she's being electrocuted and like not in a good way. And I've experienced something similar, but I like, I was, I kind of equated it to the fact of, you know, where I've always been told like by my gyno that like my uterus is tilted. So like, mm-hmm. I didn't know if it was like hitting some weird spot, but well, a lot of people, the u- the uterus being tilted is something that I've, I've heard, um, and that's more positional. So mm-hmm. if you're having, you know, sex and, you know, you're, you do have a tilted uterus, whether it's retroflexed or um, for those patients, if you're able to get into a, a position that doesn't hurt, then obviously it probably is like a little bit of a barrier because of the position 
the way your uterus is tilted. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the nervy stuff, there, there is this major nerve called the pudendal nerve. And the pudendal nerve is one of the nerves that innervates it into the perineum, the rectum, and the clitoris. And mm-hmm. so just sometimes pressure or irritation of that nerve can cause nervy type feelings. Mm-hmm. But you know that if it's like one time and it goes away, but if it's like every time, perhaps that person has tight muscles and it needs to be relaxed. Um, okay, that's definitely something that I would consider because you, it's not normal. You shouldn't be feeling nervy type stabs every time you have sex. Yeah, yeah. I had another friend who says that she has like really bad cramping after sex, and it like continues for like maybe like an hour or two she does have pcos but she's like it and it doesn't matter if she like orgasms or not like it just she has like period cramping is what it feels like does she have painful like painful periods or does she have like cramping more than just with her with her with sex because i mean that sounds like she could well a lot of people with pcos also have or may not necessarily have um, endometriosis. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people who have painful periods, like, you know, what's a painful period? Like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, isn't it normal to have painful period? Like take the Motrin and call it, um, maybe. In some people, the pain is all month where they don't really realize that it could be contributed, like related to their period, but it's kind of like they have more crampy feelings than not. So mm-hmm. they it could be like the week, before their period thou and the week of the period and then now it's like two to three days after the period um and or it could be something like adenomyosis where the uterus is enlarged um for a, a lot of my patients i talk to them about um what they can do before sex so some for some of them i give suppositories like an hour before mm-hmm. um and that can help with it and then or after intercourse if they're flared so if it is that crampy feeling if it's like a muscular thing that it can help relax that muscle so what kind of suppositories are you giving so I'm gonna blow your mind here (laughs) I do um Valium suppositories and I usually put a muscle relaxant in them Um, I know technically a lot of people are like well the Valium doesn't you know work on the GABA like so they'll there's a question of whether Valium is actually necessary or if just the good old muscle relaxant is enough mm-hmm. I mean I find like when I with my patients when I do it without it I feel like it doesn't help as much so I mean I'm going clinically what I see is more helpful on patients um but you know it's not like a forever thing it's just to kind of help with certain scenarios and obviously if you have like a systemic condition like endometriosis I'm more inclined to give you more of them versus someone who just has pelvic floor dysfunction gotcha that's fascinating you know compounding uh, pharmacies are really interesting so you can actually I love compounding pharmacies you can make anything you want so I give gabapentin rectally I give um lidocaine like and mix it with ketamine for people for in cream forms for pain um you can do so much and this way people who don't like to take things orally they can still get that relief yeah I used to work as a pharmacy tech uh with my mom um, who's a pharmacist and she would teach me how to compound a lot of things oh wow that's awesome It, it was mostly like 
it was for a pharmacy that catered mostly towards nursing homes. So it was a lot of like diaper paste and like stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it was still fun. Like I loved mixing things and like weighing things out. And yeah, um, I know. They, but that's they, so cool. I didn't know you, you could make suppositories though. Oh yeah, you make suppositories. Now they're making CBD suppositories. I mean, it's oh, kind wow. of cool. Yeah. Okay, this one might not be in your wheelhouse. I'm not sure. Um, but like remedies for bacterial vaginitis, like you just get that like constantly. I mean, so there is bacterial vaginitis obviously has to be treated with an, uh, an antibiotic, mm -hmm. but when people who are getting them recurrent, mm -hmm. um, a lot of times, you know, they're recommended boric acid suppositories. Um, and then they're also treated with antibiotic uh, vaginal medication consistently for like four to six months. So, uh, I mean, I would obviously recommend you see your GYN, make sure it's truly a new, um, and not like a lingering on from your last one, um, mm -hmm. vaginitis, because if it's not, then I you can't really call it recurrent. It's just untreated or, yeah. Um, but yeah, so depending on, on whether it's new or not and how often it's happening, you might mm -hmm. need a longer term course of the medication. Oh, that's interesting. They're, I'm going to, they're like, can you answer all these questions? And I was like, well, I'm going to get them answered. And then y'all are going to listen. Like, I'm not going to like, women are, um, are getting pregnant like later and later now. Um, mm -hmm. what types of things are important for, you know, I mean, like I'm 34, I don't have a boyfriend. I don't, I'm not going to have, well, hopefully I'll meet someone soon, but I know that I'm creeping up there in like pregnancy age. What are things that like women who are waiting to have sex can do? Waiting. Well, not waiting to, to have, sex. have sex. Waiting, waiting to, to have a baby. Yes. I've not waited to have sex. <laughs> um, I tell all of my patients, whether they're like 25, 22, or like 19 now, uh, or 36, I talk about fertility because mm -hmm. I wish every kid was offered fertility at uh, 25 because mm -hmm. I feel like we as women cannot get educated without this option because we're like we're being forced either into motherhood or we're being forced or we or it's like or you can't go to grad school it's like one or the other yeah yeah and that's totally not cool but that's another aside but I know uh, geriatric pregnancy <laughs> like and then I, freezing your eggs isn't all that cheap either it's not. And so for, but, but the thing is, is for a lot of my patients, fertility is super affected when they have pelvic issues, whether it's endometriosis or uh, PCOS. So um, it really depends on the person, but I always talk about fertility because I want people to, to have an AMH level checked, which mm -hmm. is your ovarian reserve only because you don't know what your baseline is until you have a baseline. Right. And, you know, that's a relatively inexpensive test. It's it's not part of your annual um, blood work, but you can always ask your doctor to add it in. And mm -hmm. if you see that your numbers year after year are declining, well, then that's when you say, hmm, maybe I should just have a baby with this next boyfriend um, or, you know, freeze my eggs if I can't, you know, or if I have, if I don't have a partner or you know, and you have to think about what you really want. Like, do you really want a baby or 
you know, with a lot of my patients, they have so much pain yeah. from conditions like endometriosis or adenomyosis where it's affecting their uteruses, but mm-hmm. it's also affecting their egg quality. And a lot of them want to have their uteruses removed because of the adenomyosis. And when that happens, like, they're like, wait, should I have a baby? I'm 36. Or should I keep this uterus and be miserable? For the-? And I'm, I don't have a relationship and I don't have any eggs and my egg quality is not so great anymore because I'm 30. You know, mm-hmm. there's so, there's no options. Like you run out of yeah. options. So it's like, you have to have these conversations with people when they're in their like late twenties for sure. Gotcha. Uh, I think more and more doctors like you have to like even and I hate when patients are like oh I talked to my doctor and she said I'm not that old and that's it but like no Forrest and you can really go on like any of these apps like Instagram's so amazing you can get like your AMH level checked on like some random fertility group like um they're just they'll encourage you to get that checked and you know do it like do an ultrasound make sure everything is well and you know if you find if they find something that can be fixed earlier because you know I want to say it's like I forget the number but there's a huge number of silent and one of the biggest cause of her infertility is silent endometriosis mm-hmm. what does that mean it's like the classic girls like you know 16 gets her period kind of painful goes on birth control is now in her 20s on birth control doing well having sex not getting pregnant meets a guy in their 25 gets married now wants to have a baby comes off the pill at 32 gets trying to have baby trying to have baby trying to have baby can't have baby what's going on why am I not having baby and it's yeah. like oh you're infertile why are you infertile Ooh, we found endometriosis and yeah. now they get their eggs frozen or they start IVF and their endometriosis is set off and their pain starts. So now it's not silent anymore because right. while they were on the pill, it was silencing it. Essentially mm-hmm. the hormones were were reversing. So now they weren't having a lot of pain and now they and now instead now they are having pain. And you know, hopefully it's not terrible and, and if they go back on the pill then sometimes people feel okay. But some people it affects that egg quality. It affects implantation an embryo won't it won't implant and now it's in it's because it's an inflammatory disease it can affect your entire pelvis and then some of these some of these people they can't get pregnant and that's why it's so hard to see 40 you know late 40 year old women who are trying to get pregnant that you know it takes them a while to meet people especially when you have a career mm-hmm. and so it's it's i always like early, the earlier the earlier the earlier the better yeah no, I definitely need to. I'm gonna ask my gyno at my next visit to <laughs> to add yeah. that one in there because I'm just I'm so curious, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely always been something in the back of my mind, like, oh my god, like I've ever since like I've always been drawn to babies. Like I've worked yeah. with them for years. I know I'm supposed to be a mother, and you know, in whatever capacity yeah. that is, and if but. You, like- that's the thing. Like if you know it and you want it, yeah, you should definitely get that. And then also make sure when you do go, you're not on any biotin because biotin, I, that's the other thing. Like we're young. So we're all like vain and we want good hair Yeah, um, and it can actually affect your, your, your hormone levels. So you don't really? want to have, you don't want to have the wrong labs. 
yeah. showing up because you're, cause you're vain. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we all like nice hair, skin, nails. <laughs> yeah, I'll do anything for my hair. Don't eat those um, sugar bear hair. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So um, take a week off before you get your blood drawn and so you can get accurate number numbers. That's um, a really you, great advice. And also like when people are not necessary like if you are having issues with your thyroid you can have trouble getting pregnant and so getting that under control or under the like you know a tight control under your your, your levels you yeah. have a better chance so a lot I mean there's a lot you can do and like to prep but um really just the main thing is your egg quality yeah well that's excellent advice oh I wanted to touch on this too I love this whole you are not dirty campaign uh, conversation stuff that you're a part of. And how how has the feminine hygiene industry like contributed to causing this anxiety in women of like feeling unclean? And, you know, I mean, we're basically ignoring the self-cleaning properties of the female (laughs) reproductive system. I mean, essentially, we know that we don't need to clean our vaginas or our vulvas. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, obviously the external, if you want to, like you can soap, you know, mild soap, don't go nuts. But the problem is, is people are hearing things like douching and should I steam and should I do, you know. Yeah, thanks but- Gwyneth Paltrow about the vaginal <laughs> steaming. Thank you for Sounds wasting. nice, but like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's no scientific evidence to suggest that steaming actually helps any condition. But um, that being said, you... But the feminine hygiene industry is trying to get everyone's vaginas smelling like flowers and yeah. it's not even your vagina, it's your vulva. So it's like, why are we being told that our vaginas or vulvas smell like, I mean, I'm constantly, I'm constantly being apologized to by patients. And I was thinking mm. about it. I have never had a man, because I see men, so I see 30% yeah. men. They, I never had a man apologize for his hair or yeah. his, you know, smell, you know? Every once in a blue moon, someone will be like, I'm sorry that you have to look at my junk, but I've never had anyone tell me that like, oh, I, I, you know, I didn't shower. I'm sorry. Or my, you know, my hair on my legs or my feet smell or, you know, but women, yeah. we're constantly apologizing. Well, we do. I yeah, I mean, I've apologized before. I've been like, I'm so sorry. Like I like just got my period. It came early or something like that. And it's like, why am I apologizing for that? Like they know. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And, I mean, that's the thing. So sometimes someone will come in and they'll be like, I have my tampon in. I didn't take it out because I have my tampon. I have my period. And I'm like, I know, but I need to do an exam. And they're like, but it's, it's heavy. And I'm like, you know, I don't care. Right. Like I, I, that's not like, I'm here to take care of you. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, it happens. You get your period. Yeah. It, it's part of the, part of like the pro you know it's like and that's what's interesting as like a doctor who went into physiatry like I was treating ankles knees and backs before and then when mm-hmm. I started the pelvic world I was doing internals and rectals like wait in the beginning and like I remember when my friends went into OB and I was like how do you do that it's like so many vaginas and now I don't even like think twice about it because yeah. you get into what you're doing and you're like hey I don't look at hair I don't look at I mean, obviously I look at the skin, make sure it's not irritated, but I'm not like, I'm not grossed out like by smells or any of that. And the mm-hmm. thing is, is that it's it's such a natural thing. And I, I think that industry has taught us that 
we're we're gross and we need to be fixed and here's a product that can fix you and yeah. that's a shame it's unfortunate that we we fall for it like do our do our partners like subconsciously think that they're going to go down and be like oh you used the like rose <laughs> fragrance today no i mean and even that like you know like uh lubes that are like the the, the edible tasty lubes that have like different flavors i'm like Mm-hmm. Is this really necessary? I mean, I'm that, pretty see, sure that it, sounds like that would make it worse to me. I I don't think any guy is like, well, trust me, no guy is like. It's like that movie, like he's just not into you. If he's just not into you, he's not. It's not because of your, you know, your smells. Yeah, it, it's because he's just not into you. But that's yeah. <laughs> I always wondered that if like men. Well, at least like men in like heterosexual relationships subconsciously kind of like buy into what the feminine hygiene industry is selling to like either consciously or subconsciously, you know, and, you know, shaming their partners. Like if that's something that is happening. I'm sure. But I will say that it's probably the not so smart men. Because the not so smart men would, the not so nice guys would shame Shame their partner. Yeah. Like the good guys. Like I just And you said. should not be with those guys, <laughs> ladies. No, do not. If some guy is shaming you, then he is not a good guy because most no. guys or your female partner, if she's shaming you, she should not be <laughs> shaming you either. No, hundred percent. I mean they're if they want to be with you, they don't care what it looks like down there. I mean, they might have like a preference whether there's yeah. some hair somewhere, but they're not they're not going to stop being into you because of what it looks like down there or what it smells like down there or what it tastes yeah. like down there and if they are they're probably not the brightest yeah. um yeah and they're and then you don't want to be with someone like that no okay i've one this is like a personal question mm-hmm. i hate getting poked in the belly button because it literally feels like someone is like stabbing my vagina and like why is that I know I'm not I know I'm not alone I know no one likes to get poked in the belly button what is it that causes that because it's so oh it's just like oh just don't do it like my whole like vagina and everything just clenches up because is it your vagina or is it your bladder because no it's definitely my vagina it's not my bladder well, behind your belly button, there are these fibers of the inner lining of your abdomen, and they can send a signal of, you know, that that feeling, that pain to your spinal cord, and that, at that level, is your bladder. Huh. So that, when, or your urethra, so your bladder, urethra, I'm like, or maybe you're confusing your vagina with your urethra or your bladder, because that sits right on top, um, right below, right below. So, I don't know, depending on where. But it definitely feels like it's, it doesn't feel like I have to pee or like bladder pain. It definitely feels like behind that. Yeah. I mean, it might just be like the behind because you're, you're getting towards that area of the spinal cord um, where the the nerves are going down. Okay. It's interesting because that's the only place that there's no like deep muscles, right? So everywhere Mm -hmm. else there's muscles. So when you're poking, you're not you're not, you're actually able to get further down. Oh gosh, even <laughs> thinking about it, I'm like, no. <laughs> you know, it's funny because it's not everyone, but my, I think my husband's like that because I used to do that to him to bother him. Um, mm-hmm. But like, I am totally not bothered by my my belly button at all. So oh. I feel like it's not everyone. Well, 
I hope I'm not alone. <laughs> Do you have an innie or an outie? It's it's kind of like a midi. It uh, like it doesn't. It's just kind of like flat with my stomach. It it like that goes sounds in like, like an a tiny little bit, but it doesn't like stick out. Okay, because I think he has an outie, so maybe it's people with outies. Do a research oh, study on this. I'll do, I'll do an Instagram poll. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good idea. Maybe we'll do an yeah. Instagram poll on it. Yeah, we'll That's do so that. That'll be funny. Well, Dr. Ty, what's next for you and, and what are you working on right now? Well, so we opened, we are in Midtown Manhattan um, and we recently just started doing telehealth because of COVID. And so we also have an office out in Long Island. So I'm the only doctor out in the office in Long Island. So we are trying to expand that and increase the practice a bit. So I've been busy with that and and, and then eventual goal is for me to move out of the city and into the suburbs, but not right now. Um, I'm doing a lot of podcasts. I'm writing some articles, um, a chapter on endometriosis and, and symptoms. So a lot of, just a lot of educational stuff, mostly. Very cool. I love reading your posts. They're so informative and you're just, you're breaking all these barriers. Where can people find you on social media? So I am Dr. Ty, T-A-Y, Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D, um, on Instagram. I'm also on Twitter, and I am on Facebook as, I want to say, Public Pain Specialist Community. My, <laughs> for some reason, that's my my whatever handle. So, yeah, otherwise, I'm in Midtown Manhattan, and I'm doing consults all over the country. So That's outstanding. Mm-hmm. that's great it's awesome I actually had some patients from Tennessee one from Oklahoma during COVID wow yeah a lot of people come out because there's not a lot of physiatrists like we were talking about. no no that's that's awesome that's such a cool feature so like if anyone if anyone's listening that is having any pelvic pain you can also request a telehealth appointment with Dr. Yeah. Ty <laughs> yes we will definitely talk about everything so we do like it. hour and a half visits. It's pretty long and comprehensive, but we talk about everything and we give you a whole bunch of treatment options. So it's it's pretty good. That's amazing. Well, Dr. Ty, we are out of time, but thank you so much for answering all of my questions and all of my friends' questions <laughs> and <laughs> taking the time to um, speak with me tonight. I know you've had a you've had a long day. Um but I really appreciate it. Yes. (laughs) Both working hard. Thank you so much. I so, 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 so appreciate you having me. Um, I'm so excited to get the word out as well about public rehabilitation. Yes. You are welcome on anytime. I'm sure I'll find more questions. Oh, thank you so much. It's so wonderful how you're empowering women um, on your show and for all of the women who are listening. Oh, I pre- don't make me cry yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I appreciate that so, so much. Thank you again so much. And I look forward to another episode with you on it. Oh, thank you. Anytime. I loved this conversation with Dr. Ty. I personally learned so much and I'm so grateful to the work that she is doing and that everyone else is striving to do to destigmatize pelvic pain and normalize periods. How we are still fighting for this normalcy, I don't know, but we gotta keep the fight up. I'm so grateful to all of you that listen and learn with me every week. 
please make sure to follow Dr. Tai on Instagram at Dr. Tai, that's T-A-Y, Ahmed, A-H-M-E-D, and Twitter at Dr. Tai Ahmed. She is sharing so many resources and articles and has so much knowledge in the field of physiatry to share. Just to reiterate, too many Kegels can be bad for your pelvic health, periods aren't dirty, and you shouldn't have to live with painful sex. Oh, and make sure you snag your WOMED merch before it's gone. Love y'all. WOMED out. 